0: imagine this uh, use your mind's eye to sort of picture this imagine you sort of walking along on a beautiful day kind of like today and you're walking along this beautiful body of water and you stumble upon this fantastic harbor and you just sort of pan the space to take in what's there and something magnificent catches your eye this boat catches your eye but it's not just any boat it's an absolutely amazing boat Take a, for a closer look at this boat, and you find that this thing is just, it's just pristine. You're just captivated by the paint job and the detailing. You look a little closer, and you notice that all the stainless steel has been polished. The mast is beautiful. The sail has absolutely nothing wrong with it, no tears. You know, this is a magnificent boat. And you just take it in for a little while, and then you go on your way. You're there at that same spot the very next day, and you notice again this magnificent boat pristine looking as beautiful as it did yesterday but you notice something it seems like it's a little sunken down in the water it's a little you know lower than it was yesterday you think that's odd but you still admire the structure so you go and you return you repeat that process and every time you come back this boat is just a little bit further down in the water until uh after a few days it's like all that's sticking out it's like the mast and a little bit of the sail still very pristine but the boat's down in the water. And then you come back the next day and the boat's not there anymore. And you use your logic and your reasoning to deduce that, man, this, this ship has sank, right? So you come back the following day and you notice all this machinery, this heavy crane, and somebody has went down and got this boat out of the water and is completely lifted out of the water. And there you can see what was wrong with this magnificent structure. You get an opportunity to see the belly of this thing. You see the holes in it. You see the waves that it holds have just sort of corroded through this thing and there's no, no question why this ship eventually sank. It looks like somebody was maintaining this boat very well, but it didn't bother to maintain it below the waterline. It was focusing on only what you can see, only what could be perceived by the senses and the stuff that lie beneath the waterline was woefully neglected. I think the same is true in our own lives. We, we really like to focus on what people can see. We talked about being impressive last week and the need uh, for us not to do that. Jesus instructs us not to do that. Paul says don't try to be impressive. Why? Because we get to focusing on this exterior. Get to focusing on what people can see, trying to be impressive, trying to be seen, want people to ooh and ah at us. But what do we do? We l- neglect life beneath the waterline. I am the privilege this morning of continuing a, a series that we've been in for the last few weeks, a series that I've simply been calling Focus. And the purpose of this series is to focus us all, as this community of faith, focus us all on a few very important things that I feel like the Lord is calling us to focus on as a community of faith. I feel like you can focus on too many things and you won't get any of those things done, but if we focus on a few very specific strategic things, then I think we'll have a greater measure of success. And as I've said, week after week during this series, this series is mainly for those of you who call this place home to figure out where we're going, where we're headed, what we're focusing on in these fall months. But it's also for anybody who happens to visit because this gives you a great snapshot of what healthy Christianity, healthy community life looks like. So basically, this series is for everyone for the last few weeks, we talked about a few important things. We started with a, a message called A Heart for the House, where we just talked about community life here and the importance of plugging into it, standing up and being counted, taking seriously your commitment to this community, this particular mission, and this vision. Jim Egley was here, a friend of mine, and he talked about growing up in community, spiritual maturity, and the need for that. Last week, we stressed the importance of having the good attitude. The attitude of Christ. And if you notice, we've sort of started big community, talking about our community life. And we've just been narrowing our focus and zeroing in on the individual's life. Calling us all to responsibility to care for our own hearts, to, be, to cultivate our own lives, particularly our life in community and our life with Jesus. And I think that's important because we're only going to be a healthy community if we're healthy individuals. The community is a collection of individuals, and the collective health of the community will depend on the individual health of its members. It's for that reason that we're narrowing our focus each and every week and dealing with the individual. And today I'm just I've just simply called this message, How is your soul? How is your soul? Talking earlier about life below below the waterline, how is your soul? I've become fond of asking this question to my, our leaders and people that I encounter. I've become fond of asking this question of my own self because I think it's vitally important. Uh, we, we've just got a new national director. Many of you know we're a part of an association of churches in the, in the Vineyard Movement. And our new national director has really, was really big push for what he calls soul care, right? Focusing on how, your soul is. He's noticed that in the past when leaders are being mentored, when they're being checked in on, on by their superiors, the questions that often get asked is, how's your church? Have you guys grown? Okay, you're bigger now. Have you moved to a new place? Okay, how's your marriage? This, that, and the other. All the, all the wrong questions. They're good questions, but they happen to be all the wrong questions. Uh, those aren't the questions that we want to start with. And so what he's fond of asking now is, how is your soul? How is your inner life? How is your life with Jesus? How is your soul? And that's the question that I set before us today. It's a great diagnostic question. It's a question that's not often asked, but we're going to deal with it today. And when I say your soul, I mean your spiritual, the immaterial part of humanity. Uh, It's regarded as immortal. It's the very essence of a person. And it seems to be the part of humanity that God is most interested in. How's your soul? We're going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 6. We'll start at verse 43. Uh, If you don't have Bibles, by the way, there's Bibles on the edges of your row. Please feel free to follow along. We'll also be projecting the words on the screen. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Uh, Before I read that this morning, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to stand before your people and bring your word. Lord, we know you care deeply about our souls. You care deeply about our essence, the core of who we are. And Lord, we submit that to you today. Father, would you teach us uh, through your word today what it means to take care of our souls and submit that to you? Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak, that you would move the preacher out of the way so that your truth, that your life, and that your message would shine through. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, we'll start at verse 43. This is Jesus talking, A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never, are never gathered from, a th- from thorn bushes. And grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury. I love that word. From the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. i read that last verse again. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. This is a perfect illustration that reminds us that fruit is always true to character. In other words, the things that are growing on the exterior are always true to what's going on at the very core and at the very essence of something. Sometimes we forget this as we can fool some people into thinking that we're something other than we are because we can really work hard on trying to polish the exterior and work, at this all, work all sorts of stuff to try to fool people and to come off as something other than we are. But Jesus reminds us that the, the fruit is always true to character. Apple trees produce apples. Now, unless you want to go through the trouble of taping an orange onto an apple tree... You can fool some people for a while, but apples grow on apple trees. Oranges grow on orange trees. A good person produces good fruit. No, it's not talking about perfection, but we're talking about consistently uh, uh, producing something good and that glorifies God. And I love this uh, imagery of a treasury of the heart says the treasury of the heart. It's like I get this picture of this vault, this spacious room where stuff is stored out and dispensed from this. And this is the word picture that we get from the treasury of the heart. Good stuff comes out if you're a good person. But guess what? From that same treasury, a storeroom of your heart, evil things will come out as well. So the very essence, the very core of who you are will produce things that we will see on the exterior. And last week we focused on attitude. We talked about having the attitude of Christ. And I heard somebody say recently that your attitude is your thought life lived out. So how you, how you, how how, what you project, your attitude is basically your, your thought life turned inside out. The same is true with your soul. How we see, what we see on the exterior when you've not Taking the the opportunity to try to mask things, right? When you lose the ability to try to uh, overcompensate or to, to fool people, right? What we see on the exterior is generally a perfect picture of the condition of your soul. And the Bible leans into us as it relates to our souls. It causes us to do business with this thing we call our soul and to prepare it to be like Jesus wants it to be. So the burning question we have today is why focus on The soul. Why focus on the soul, the inner man, the guts? Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says, uh, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? One of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. We ought to tattoo that on some place that we'll see regularly. Put that on the mirror in the morning. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? And what is that saying? Listen, listen, there's nothing in the world worth your soul, including the entire world. There's nothing more valuable than your soul. There's nothing more important. There's nothing worth more of your focus than tidying up and squaring away your soul. how many of us have spent so much time grasping for this, grasping for that, putting so many other things on a higher shelf, on a higher slot on the priority list than our soul. Nothing more important than that. So we have a choice. Where do we focus our time and energy? Where do we focus our time and energy? We have two choices. We can focus on our interior life or our soul, or we can focus on our exterior life. And this is kind of a trick that the enemy uses. He wants to get us focusing on what seems easier. Right? He says, listen, just focus on the exterior. Listen, polish that thing up and nobody will ever know, right? But what's happening is what's in you is just dying to get out. It will get out. So you will always be polishing, always be managing your exterior to mask what your soul is really producing on the outside. Apple trees, apple's going to grow on an apple tree. And it's going to take a lot of work to stop apples from growing on an apple tree. So Satan will love to get you fixed on working on this exterior. And you have two choices. And we often choose to work real hard to get the exterior life looking like we want it to look. So natural to focus on this. What is seen? What can be perceived by uh, the the senses, right? We work real hard on our look. Back in the day, people wanted to have the, the biggest Bible, you know. You church folks who were raised in church, you know that people were serious about their Bible. Man, they came out of church, they put it in the windshield or something, just to let you know that they are Bible thumpers. And it stayed there all week until they went back into church again. Bible, not just the Bible, but you had the cover with the cross. You know, you had the, the older ladies had the Jesus, you know, brooch, and you had the ichthus on the car. Everybody knows listen, I'm I'm lo- I'm looking the part you grew up in church like me, listen, you wanted to look the part. You were dressed well, man. You you were dressed well, and people were checking out who was dressed well. And it seemed almost to be sort of a measure of holiness. (laughs) A measure of holiness, like what you were wearing to church. I never understood that. Even as a boy, I thought this is odd, right? (laughs) But the look is so important. Look is so important. And so much of our time and energy goes into looking the part brushing up the uh, exterior, polishing uh, the exterior, right? And then you work so hard on the language. You've got to have the Christian language down. I mean, you don't want your speech to betray you here. And it's just so odd that so many people work real hard to sound like a Christian. And how many of you know when you're trying real hard, well, it betrays you, right? You ever try to talk to somebody just in plain English and they want to talk to you uh, in ease. ask him a simple, simple question, and, and they're giving you these, like, canned answers. Well, he, he's able, brother. He's able. I'm like, great. I asked you what time it was. <laughs> oh, I'm blessed and highly. Great. Can, can I have a Dorito, please? But I'm saying the language, it works so hard to get this language down pat. We're talking like King James English, and it comes off as what? What does it come off as? and it's really shameful is people who aren't church can't relate to that at all they already think we're crazy (laughs) right and i mean you have to be a little bit crazy to really be a real christian i think but i mean it's just weird sometimes and you know my goal in life is to not be any weirder than jesus was Jesus was revolutionary. He was out there, but I didn't find him to be a weird dude. And I don't want to be a weird Christian, but sometimes all this trying to look the part, all this working on the exterior, it just is phony. It's weird. It's odd. It's not attractive. Also polishing the exterior, we just fill our schedule, just this life of activity. This life of doing stuff. What did it happen to the church today? Let me get down there. Oh, let me go to this conference. Well, let me do this. Listen, that stuff is fine. Listen, I would that you fill yourself with, uh, up with m- as much kingdom as you can get, with as much word and fellowship as you can get. But sometimes we mistake this busy exterior for an actual committed spiritual life with Jesus. Sometimes when I ask people how is their soul, how is their life with Jesus, they want to rattle off the conferences that they've been to. They want to rattle off all the activities, all the stuff that they fill their calendar with. I got to slow them down say, no, 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 no. How is your soul? How is your interior? How is your life with Jesus? Have you talked to him lately? Have you communed with Him lately? Have you got somewhere and be quiet and be quiet at your soul so that God can speak to you and you can speak? How's your soul? I'm interested in your activities. Not interested in the busyness of your life. I'm not wanting you to confuse that with healthy Christ-centered spirituality. Often we choose to focus on the exterior, or we can, as some of us do, focus on the interior. We focus on our soul and cultivating our soul. And sometimes that's not pretty. And sometimes that means just being real with God and saying, listen, this is where I am today. And those of us who understand the reality of this understand that God is not looking for us to impress Him. And if you're trying to do that, that's just, just like trying to impress Michael Jordan with your subpar basketball moves. I mean, like, God is not going to be impressed by what you're doing. Okay? So that's, that's a losing battle. So we don't need to weave these words together in our prayers so that God is goes, Wow, that was a good sentence. I'm going to make a note of that one. But we lay our hearts bare before him and we say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm frustrated In fact, God, I'm a little frustrated with you. Can you help me understand this? And lay my soul bare. And you say, God, whatever you got for me, that's what I want. Whatever you got. If it's a critique, if it's a rebuke, if it's in church, whatever you got, Lord, I I, I just want to meet with you. Jesus was real good at this. The scriptures just kind of throw it in in different places. And Jesus stole away to meet with God. And Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. Always cultivating his soul. Always staying connected. Having that richness to his faith and satisfaction. What's the secret then? If that's what we're supposed to do, lean into a healthy interior life to cultivate our soul, what is the secret? How do we do this? And it's simple. Bring your interior life to Jesus. Bring your interior life to Jesus. Bring your soul to Jesus. Don't bring them all the stuff that you're trying to mask, you know. You're trying to get them distracted. Lord, look at these offerings that I have to bring you. Look at all this stuff that I can do. Look at all this stuff I've done. Jesus said, bring, just bring your soul to me. Bring it here. I want to inspect it. I want to check it out. I want to hang out with you. Bring your interior life to Jesus. Jesus says, connect with me. Let's do business together. I'm always trying to figure out, especially for people who solicit my help, for people who are wondering how to connect with Jesus. What are you connected to? What are you connected to? What are you connected to? Let's look at John 15. Fantastic passage of scripture here. John 15. This is Jesus talking. I'll start at verse 1. I'll give you a second to get it. John 15, I'll start at 1. Jesus says this, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So this is a mouthful here. This is the mouthful. And I think this is the secret to a great interior life, understanding this, right? I asked earlier, what are, we, what are you connected to? And I think in this passage, it just sort of gives us three three players here that we need to, uh, that are helpful for us to understand. The first is, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine, right? And this is Jesus that he's referring to. I'm the true vine. Jesus says, listen, I am what you need to be connected to. All the life all the hope, all the healing, all the ministering that you need will come from me. Stay connected to me, and you're going to be all right. I'm the true vine. The second player is the gardener, or God the Father. And Jesus tells us in this passage what God's job is as the gardener. He cuts off every branch, verse 2, of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message Uh, I have given you. So Jesus says God's job is the gardener. He's cultivating this stuff. And one of God's main jobs is to prune the vine and the branches. And we don't like that pruning process, do we? That's painful. That's uncomfortable. Lord, just tell us how awesome we are. Just tell us, Lord, how you just just come down and walk with us in the cool of the day, barefoot through the garden, stroke our hair, and just tell us how magnificent, how pleased you are with us. God's job is for us to grow and to bear fruit and to be plentiful and bountiful. And he prunes us so God is the gardener. And who are we in this story? We are the branches. That's us. And the branches are supposed to be connected to the vine. And the vine is supposed to be tended to by the gardener. So this whole picture it paints for us, right? is: It's our job as the branches, if we understand this in the story, our job is to stay connected. You want to know how to cultivate a great interior life. You want to know how to have a great solid soul that's connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the vine. And this uh, passage in in scripture and other parts of scripture use a a fantastic word, abide, right? To abide, to accept or to act in accordance with, to dwell, to stick close by, right? To hang out with, to be in something. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in his um, commentary. He says, as branches, we have the privilege of sharing his life and the responsibility of abiding. We have the privilege of sharing his life and the responsibility of abiding. And I think this puts things very plainly for us. The privilege, we get a whole lot from staying connected. Hope, Healing. Comfort, community, all these fantastic things that we were hardwired, our, our souls are hardwired to need this stuff. And this is what we get in great supply from the vine, right? But what's our response to that? What's the only thing that we've been asked to do in return? To stay connected, to continue to abide. And some of us can't understand for the life of us why your life is a mess, a perpetual mess, a continual mess. Well, your spiritual life, you don't have any peace with God. You haven't heard from God in years. You don't have communion with him. You, don't have, you see, you know, you're in a worship service and everybody's worshiping and tears are flowing. And there's somebody in the back, you know, with flags. And you're like, man, I want to do that. I want to cry to during worship. I want God to touch me. I want to feel his touch. And you're like, man, I have no peace with God. You're wondering why your relationships are messed up. No peace with other people. He said, after all, that's why I'm here on this earth, to love God and people, to be, commun- be in communion with God and to be in communion with others. But this stuff is not working. I'm, I'm, things are just a mess. You wonder why your sexuality is all in flux and there's tons of besetting sins and your finances are all out of joint. Everything's all messed up. And I just often focus people's attention on what they're connected to, what they're tapped into. What are you abiding in? Check your associations. Who are you hanging out with? Jesus says, hang out with me. Make me your close companion. Don't ever find yourself severed from the vine. Because what the vine pumps into you is good stuff. And what you will produce is good stuff. So if you look around the room of your life or you look what's growing on your tree and it's something other than what the vine produces, then you've got to come to the conclusion that, man, I'm abiding in something that's causing harm to me. I'm abiding in something other than the true vine. I'm abiding in something other than something life-giving. And some of us, that requires us to check our associations, requires us to look at the people we hang out with, who's influencing us, who we spend our time with. And sometimes our associations will find in that group that there's something in there that we're abiding in. There's someone in there that, are, that we're abiding in that's a competing interests as it relates to the true vine. Sometimes we have to check our media intake. We want to be filled with the Spirit. Listen, we want to walk down the street and have our shadows heal people, but, we keep, but we're taking in all this garbage. Now, I don't mean to be religious and to be, you know, super. You know, I'm not. I'm not a very parental pastor. That's not my job. I'm not going to follow you home. What do you watch? You know, what do you, what do you watch? That's not my job. My job is, however, to make you aware that what you take in will come right back out of you. And if you think that you're struggling with uh, pornography and lust and objectifying men or women, you think you can just take in deep gulps of all types of sexuality on TV, all types of sexuality in magazines, and think that that stuff's not going to come out of you and grow on the tree of your life? You're kidding yourself. You think that you can just ingest all types of offensive language and worldviews and all this sort of stuff and then just have, have no effect on you whatsoever? You are kidding yourself. You are abiding with those things. You're imbibing in those things. You're partnering with those things. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when you take that stuff in? What do you think is going to happen? Who's influencing you? Your indulgences. What have you tapped into? What are you abiding in? I see people over and over and always complaining to me. Man, I've lost the joy of my salvation. Man, it just doesn't feel like it used to feel. And I'm saying, what are you doing to get back connected to the vine? You're a once-a-month attender here. Not that it's all about church here and, and just showing up. But this is where hope is. This is it's a pep rally right here. You haven't picked up your Bible in months. What do you think is going to happen? You think the rays from the sun will just fill you with God's presence? Forgetting ourselves? What are you abiding in? What have you given yourself to? Typically, that's what we'll find growing on the trees of our life. And Jesus says, Your job as the branch is to stay connected. You want to have a rich, vital relationship with Jesus, a life giving relationship with Jesus. You want to bear wonderful fruit. Stay connected to the vine. That's the only way it happens. You can shuck and jive and try to play the part, but that only works so long, doesn't it? I mean, that's tiring. It's fatiguing to pretend to be a Christian. I tell people the only thing harder than being a real Christian is being a fake one. It's the only thing harder than being a Christian is being a fake one, trying to look the part, trying to have one foot in and one foot out. It's very difficult. It's really silly. So then we ask the question, okay, what will happen when when I bring my interior life to Jesus? If it's my job as a branch to stay connected, what will happen as a result of that? Okay, when we abide, when we stay connected, the scriptures tell us that we will bear much fruit. Verse 5, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me or abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, let me just say, you can do plenty of things apart from Jesus, right? You can do plenty of things apart from the true vine, but the implication here is that it won't amount to much. You won't be doing anything worthwhile. You won't be doing anything that's bringing glory and honor to God. Apart from me. He says, if you stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit, which goes back to the Luke 6 passage that we looked at earlier. Good trees bear what? good fruit. Bad trees bear what? Bad fruit from the treasury of the heart. All the stuff that you stored up in there comes spilling out. What would happen to you? How might your life life look different if if you bore some good fruit for a change on a consistent basis? How might your relationship with God be enriched? How might your relationship with others be revitalized if you, the fruit that was growing on your life was life-giving to yourself and others? But this is what Jesus promises for those of us who choose to abide in him. Another thing he says that when our interior life is on point, when we're connected to Jesus, when we have a rich soul and a rich interior life, our prayers get answered. That's a good one. I like that one. Jesus said in verse 7, but if you remain in me, stay connected, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. Some of our eyes widen when we hear that. You're like, I got a whole list of stuff. But I always feel the need to clarify this because the key word here is if you abide in me, if you're connected to me. Now, how many of you know that when you're connected to God, your wish list changes? I'll say that again. i a little closer. When you're connected to Jesus, when you're, when you're connected to Jesus, the true vine, right? What's in Him is flowing through you, and it has this curious way of changing your preferences, changing your uh, changing your t- trajectory in life. You see all of a sudden through lenses of the kingdom, and it drastically changes your wish list. Some of you tell me the things you've been praying for or the things you want me to touch and agree with you with. And I'm like, man, you need to get closer to Jesus fast, right? Because your wish list is an indication uh, of, of, of how connected you are to Jesus. Then you say, how, how do you get that out of here? Is this something? If you're connected to me, you can ask anything you want and it will be granted. But guess what? When you're connected to Jesus, you're going to be asking for things that are in accordance to, one, his general will for all of our lives, Our general divine purpose, as we talked about last week, is to do what? To love God and to love others. That will keep you busy forever and ever and ever. Amen. (laughs) And it will make some decisions for you. Right? Your divine purpose, listen, it makes some decisions for you. Hey, can we do this? Let me see. Love God, love people. No, this cuts against the grain of that. No, I can't see how this works with that. It makes a lot of my decisions for me. It simplifies my entire life, right? But it also defines, refines, it prunes, if you will, your own specific wishes, specifically as it relates to what you want to do and how you want to live and how you want to raise your kids and your particular career paths. Your particular career path. It really deals with that list because all of a sudden you're saying, God, I really want this, but. Not my will, but yours be done. I love the fact that the scriptures include Jesus' prayer in the garden where he says, listen, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is one confused about why he came here. He wasn't confused about his purpose and the salvation and the hope that he would bring when he fulfilled the prophecies and did what he came to do. He wasn't confused about that at all. But well, what does Jesus do? He's up again, he's imbiding with God. He's, he's, he's talking to his father, just shooting the breeze. And he says, listen, is there if there's any other way that this can happen? If there's any other way that this can go down, now is the time to kick this plane into gear. Now is the time to rearrange some things. And then he gets up, says, Amen, and walks away. No, he says another thing. He says, Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And get this this is the distinguishing characteristic, distinguishing mark of somebody who's abiding in Christ this is that their heart's disposition, the disposition of their heart before they even approach God would stop says, Lord, I really want this. I really want this. Really be cool if you would heal this person. Really be cool if you would take the sickness from my body. Really be cool if you give me this new job. Really be cool if you can let me out of my lease so I can go and buy this house. It'd be really cool, Lord, but not my will, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm not just talking about some learned pr- thing that we've learned to tack on to the end of our prayers just so the Lord doesn't, you know, knock us down. But the disposition of our heart says, listen, Lord, you you, you got a greater vantage point than me. I'm going to make my heart known to you. But at the end of the day, if you say no, I'll stay put. If you say go, I'll sell everything and I'll run there. Not my will, but yours be done. And the way that we get our prayers answered is that we pray in accordance to God's will. We're connected to him. We, he, we know what he wants for our life. We're not confused about where God is leading us. We're not trying to kick down doors to make something happen because that'd be cooler, because everybody else has one. We're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you cultivate a a life of being in step with Jesus and going where he goes and staying away from where he stays away from. It'll change your prayer life. Before long, some things you don't even bring to God because it's nonsense. Some things you don't even ask for because you know it's not in step with God's general will for our lives and it's certainly not in step with the specific will for your life. I knew God was calling me to church plant five years ago. I actually knew long before that. And because I knew that, listen, it shaped my prayers. I wasn't praying for, you know, a, a gig, you know, in Vegas somewhere. You know, I wasn't praying for that. I had an idea of what God was sending me, so my prayers were, were, were specific to the mission that he'd given me. And guess what? A lot of them were answered. A lot of them were granted, true to the scriptures, because I was praying as I was abiding. I was relating to God as I was abiding. I was connected to him, and what he was had in him was flowing through me, and I saw a lot of my prayers answered. You want to increase the frequency of answered prayer? Get connected. Start abiding. Prayers get answered. And one of the most exciting things that happens when we bring our interior life to Jesus is that we start to live uh, from the outflow of what's in us. Again, this competes against, or this, this runs uh, against this whole idea of we got to polish the exterior. We got to work real hard to look the part. We got to get the Bible. We got to look like a Christian. We got to sound like a Christian. Guess what? If you're cultivating a life with Jesus, if you're connected to the vine, you don't got to worry about a lot of that stuff. You got to worry about a lot of that stuff. Because you're living from the overflow. Of the good stuff that's in you. This is, you're bearing all this good fruit. It's falling off the tree and rolling down the hill. And people who know you are getting blessed. Just because you're blessed. I'm not talking about houses and Cadillacs. I'm talking about the good stuff. Hope of heaven. A good attitude. A smile on your face. Joy in your salvation. That's what I'm talking about. The other stuff will come. But you're living from the outflow. So Satan wants to tell you, listen, 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 all you got to do is work on the exterior. Listen, just keep doing that. And Jesus says, listen, deal with your heart. Deal with your soul. Make sure the treasury of of your heart has good stuff in it. And that stuff will ooze out of you. And you don't have to worry about your exterior life. Because you're connected to the vine. You're connected to the vine. Man, that's good news. Some of you, if you would apply this, your life would just get easier instantly. Some of you right now are broken right now from the burden of trying to look good to others and try to impress people around you and trying to be a good Christian. Jesus says, stay connected to the Bible. Stay connected. Abide in me. And half the problem is solved. So the question I ask you today, worship team, you can come up. How's your soul? How's your soul? Now, don't just write that down. Again, looking the part, go and do business with that question. Stand in the mirror of God's word. Is it how my soul today? You probably gathered that today is very diagnostic in nature. We're gonna get part two of this in a couple weeks. Next week is child dedications, but we're gonna talk about some very strategic, specific things that we can do to cultivate a rich soul. But today, I want you to focus. I want you to do an assessment today. We're trying to diagnose the thing. Try to figure out how is my soul? Am I focusing on just the stuff above the waterline? The stuff that can be perceived by the senses. How is my soul? How is life below the waterline? What am I connected to? What am I abiding in? What fruit is growing on the life of my tree? And I say this all the time, sometimes jokingly, but I say sometimes there's a difficult question to ask, ask and answer for that matter. So I encourage people, listen, ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Ask somebody in your small group. Usually they're eager to tell you. Say so your spouse when you get home, hey, can you, just, can you just level with me? I'm not looking to be patted on the back. I'm not looking to be, you know, stroked here. Just tell me, what, what, what fruit's growing on, on the life? Uh, on, 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 the, on the tree of my on, uh, tree of my life, what, what fruit? What fruit do you see? What fruit do you see? Now, don't lash back or don't try to defend yourself. That kind of defeats the purpose of the exercise. Just sit there and listen. And if you're on the other side of this exercise, this is not an opportunity to slip in something that you want to get done. You know, this is an opportunity to reflect to your friend, to respect, reflect to your spouse. Reflect to the person that you're discipling what you see growing on the tree of their life. How is your soul today? And my prayer is that as we worship today, as we worship, as we sing these prayers that have been set to music, that the Lord would just, again, just increase the intensity of the light that he's shining on the corners of your heart. Those places where you've got good at ignoring places where you don't want to look in, those rooms you don't want to look in. I just pray that God would shine the light of his truth and not bring any condemnation, but to bring a healthy challenge and bring encouragement to deal with that stuff today. We want healthy souls, healthy interior lives with Jesus, and I know that that will produce a healthy community in this church. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much, Lord, that for the mirror that you put in front of us that shows uh, the real us, who we really are. Lord, I just pray that by your spirit today, you reveal any places, any corners of our lives, Lord, that we've left unattended. God, would you reveal places where we're trying desperately to be impressive and neglecting the very thing that matters most? Father, would you reveal that to us by your spirit? How would you prepare our hearts to do business with you today? To forsake any and everything that runs counter to your to, to, to the purpose that you placed in our hearts. Fellowship with us today as we worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.